Welcome to BergCast. I'm John Fries. This episode of BergCast features a Pittsburgh resident who is a native of Greece and a Jewish survivor of the Holocaust. Today, Yolanda Avram Willis is 84 years old, but on October 28, 1940, when she was just six, fascist troops invaded Greece. That night, Yolanda and her two-year-old brother, Yanis, were suddenly awakened by their father, Salvatore Avram, who told his wife to take the children, go into the mountains, fleeing the invading armies. The family then went into hiding and was sheltered by Christian strangers, known as righteous Gentiles, who risked their lives to save this family. After two years of hiding with her family and publicly passing as Christians out of necessity and survival, Yolanda and her family split up, each member continuing to live undercover with other families. The family members survived the Holocaust, and Yolanda moved to the United States on a Fulbright scholarship, earned a master's degree and a Ph.D., married and raised a family. She also wrote a book about her childhood experiences, A Hidden Child in Greece, Rescuing the Holocaust, which was published in 2017. This episode of BergCast was initially recorded when Yolanda spoke with the cast and crew of Prime Stage Theater's production of The Diary of Anne Frank. She's a vibrant, friendly woman who is most generous with her time. I also want to thank Laura Bairn's father, Executive Director of the Holocaust Center of Pittsburgh, for helping us connect with Yolanda. And now, meet Yolanda Avram Willis. Um, I was, you know, I was born in 34, and I, I was six at the time. And um, for six months, we fought the Greeks, and um, we, in that respect, um, we fought the Italians very successfully. It was amazing because they were so much more numerous and well-equipped, and... Um, they weren't as good fighters, however, but the Greeks, you know, you probably have heard in various wars that they were very ferocious. <laughs> they do have, a, yeah, we have a wonderful reputation in that respect. And um, so um, my family consisted of my parents, um, and um, they were my father was 13 years older than my mother, which was fairly customary in those days because they wanted two things. The men were supposed to sow their wild oats first and then settle with a wife. And, and also they had to be able to make a living. So um, not everybody went to the university. We, we were very different from the United States in my student days um, over there. We, have, we had a lot of culture, but not a lot of material uh, possessions and wealth and savvy, like ordinary Greeks in my parents' generation didn't know how to drive because private cars were not customary. 
the people had like vans for mer moving merchandise or, or selling things from a, from a vehicle, but, but not because they were private conveniences. So anyway, that was the situation in Greece at the time, and we were very proud that we were defeating the Italians. Um, and it lasted six months until Hitler came to the aid of Mussolini, who was the head of Italy, the dictator there. And uh, within days, um, Greece the fell, you know, the mainland anyway fell in the, to the hands of, um, of the German army. Um, at that point, be, when the war began with Germany invading from Bulgaria, uh, which is north of Greece, we, my father sent a taxi. We, we were in a village to avoid bombings in our hometown. My father had been the president of the Jewish community in Larissa, the third biggest city in Greece. Now there's another third biggest city, <laughs> like uh, competing with uh, Larissa. <laughs> but some people that know uh, Russian would know Larissa. That's a female name in Russia. But that was the the name of our hometown. And my father was um, uh, a businessman and imported and exported of wholesale um, agricultural grains like wheat, uh, barley, rice, and so on. And um, during the, the downfall of the economy and everybody and the time that our resources were just about gone, um, my father sold honey out of a big pan with a ladle under the lid. He sold honey door to door. So this was, he was a man that was a worker and he was not too proud to do anything necessary that was honest and would make us a living. So I'm very proud of my dad for that. Um, what happened when the Germans uh, invaded and we fled to Crete, hoping to end up in Egypt, um, we, uh, he, First, he chartered a driver and van and, and uh, truck to take us as far down the mainland as possible. And then he chartered a, a little crew and a fishing boat called the Kaiki, for those of you that know Greek, um, and took us down to Crete. And in Crete, we met a fabulous family they have all been honored um, by Yad Vashem as righteous among the nations. The couple, their five children, and their son-in-law, who wasn't with us at the time, but he gave shelter to my mother's younger sister when her husband was caught 
with the rest of his family. She was out shopping for Pesach, for Passover. And uh, he, um, that, that's, that's why he was also named a, um, a righteous among the nations in that family. So eight of, of my family's rescuers were uh, named. They could have been more, but there are people in, the, in the, my past who were so traumatized by, by their participation in this. It was very dangerous what they did. Um, my, the first family that took me in eventually also invited my parents and my little brother who was four years younger than I was. So he started out when he was two years old. And uh, so they, anyway, they, um, they became fugitives just like us for having hidden Jews because people recognized my father who was a very well-known person in a small country um, as the president of the Jewish community in, in Larissa. This was not, um, it's not by the synagogue or like the church. It's not like the presidency of the church. It's community-wide, including the villages surrounding the bigger city. So that was like an elected um, privileged position in, as a spokesperson and an ambassador, basically, a mediator between the Christian communities and, and the, the Jewish population in there. Do you have any questions? Maybe I'm... Tell us your story. What happened, okay. what happened to you? So, um, well, first we went to Crete, and we ended up going to the mountains with the Cretan family that my, my father met. He asked to meet the most prominent businessman in the town, and it was... It wasn't exactly a village. It was just a small town. And uh, we met this amazing family. And um, so when the invasion started, it was not even 25 miles away from us in the next bay. And there, is, there are maps in my, my book, has maps, and I, I did bring, I will leave you one of the books. I brought three with me in case anybody was interested, um, but um, where was I? You met with this other family? Yeah, we met when my father went and he found this family packing to leave for the mountains. And he said to the men in the family, what will become of us, my friend? The men were speechless. He didn't know what to say. And my father said, I now have but you and God. So the man looked at his wife, she nodded. It's very emotional for me to this day. And he said, come, we will all go together. It won't be easy. He sent his younger sons to borrow more animals 
so that my father and I could share a dark mule and he, he himself rode the, the man in the family. His name was Xiruhakis, that the Greeks pronounced the X, Xiruhakis, like a KS. And, uh, and they don't say Xiruhakis, like the Americans might. But uh, we, this is how we were taken to the mountains. Now the baby, the two-year-old, had an amoebic dysentery attack and he was crying. It was very difficult. We were really dangerous if the, anybody had gotten wind of, of having Jew, Jewish fugitives um, among this crowd because we, I mean, we didn't know the ropes to pretend even later on my mother learned the ropes because one of the daughters of this rescuing family in Crete was very religious and she went to a nearby chapel to her house twice a day. My mother began to go with her to, uh, and they would cross themselves, they would make the sign of the cross in the Greek fashion, um, approaching the church and then coming out of the church. But when they came out of the church, across from it were the Gestapo headquarters. So this, I mean, they had nerves of steel, these women. Wow. Was yes. there any uh, worry about an accent difference being on Greece? No. Was there no, uh, no, the, no, not really. Um, the, um, we didn't have an accent because my parents had decided that we would not even be, be taught Ladino in the home. That we would have a regular accent, go to regular schools, have tutors that gave us French or something, but um, you know, took us for a walk and spoke French. But we basically, we, we were... So they couldn't tell if you were from Crete? No, no, they, no. There is a little accent in Crete, but uh, no. But generally speaking, you can blend in. But thank you for saying that, because it could, in certain parts of Crete, there is a, a dialect. That, that, it's not that they have a lot of words different, but they pronounce them. Yeah, like in America. I mean, yes. Yes, like somebody being from the south. Oh. Mm -hmm. So did you have to give up, um, basically had to put your Jewish faith on hold then pretty much, right? I mean, where, where you were living? Yeah, well, we were pretty secular, although my grandparents on my father's side, they they had two kitchens and four sets of dishes, so they had the, the dishes for meat and the dishes for dairy, and also the, the ones for Passover, same way. So they, they were much more observant. But they raised, I think my grandmother had 12 live births, but only six. Um, 
of her kids survived to adulthood. And um, unfortunately, both she and a couple of her daughters and their families, including grandchildren that I never met because they lived in a different part of Greece, um, they, uh, they perished. They were arrested and deported to, to Auschwitz, and they didn't survive. So you were hidden in plain sight. Absolutely, exactly, exactly the expression we use, yes. I, I, was, I took the name of Julia. I thought it was a little less exotic than Yolanda. So, I, you know, Iulius is July. Iulia uh, is the feminine name of somebody who is named after that month. So I was Iulia, or Julia. And my oldest granddaughter, who's graduating soon from law school, is, is, um, is named Julia for the name that saved me. So how long um, did you, were you hidden in place? Well, first of all, we, we had these adventures in Crete. We ended up having to leave because we, my father was suspected of being Jewish. And uh, we were warned by a man that had come from Central Europe, learned Greek, and offered himself as an interpreter for the Nazis, the occupation forces, to save himself. Now, he also disappeared at the end, so nobody knows whether he was discovered and killed. But for a while, he was out there, and he was very obligated to the people we were obligated to that took us to the mountain. So this guy, um, he, um, he warned his rescuer, his own benefactor that had given him odd jobs and who had taken us to the mountains to, um, he, he really, um, he was very grateful wanted to save our own rescuer from any destruction we would rain on, on him and his family by being Jews. And so he, he warned him that my father was suspected of being Jewish. And we were like, decided, yeah. Wow. Okay. Uh, and then when when I, went, when I went into hiding without my family, although they joined us eventually, um, I was eight. And when we were liberated, I was 10. Well, it was, it was like the f most fabulous party you can imagine. Uh, women had brought their Persian carpets out of the, the homes and lined the streets for the liberator trucks 
to run over. And, and they, they were so demure, they were supposed to be very modest and virginal. And they, they kissed the liberators. The liberators threw candy and cigarettes around. I mean, it was, I, I mean, I remember it like a big circus, you know? Yeah. It was really fantastic, fantastic. I was with my mother. It was in October, uh, the 14th, I think, of October, 1944. October. We've heard a lot about, uh, and you know something about um, a lot of the cooperation between the other governments, the Hungarians and the Poles and the Austrians and all that, and some of the early um, uh, activity that was oppressive to the Jews, even before the Nazis. Was any of that going on in Greece? You know, there probably were occasional incidents of discrimination. Uh, there were like rumors that um, the Jews might take the Jewish uh, um, Christian child and and. Uh, drink his blood or something. I don't know. It was like crazy stuff. I don't remember exactly the, these, these ideas. But um, because my father was the president of the community in Larissa, we were very ambassadorial in the entire family. We just did not indulge in those kinds of rumors. and um, and. My parents used Ladino, which is the Jewish dialect of the diaspora from Spain and Portugal. They used Ladino to tell secrets among the grown-ups. But I learned to understand. <laughs> I learned to understand Ladino because I was very eager to know their secrets. I mean, rumors, scandals. <laughs> so, yes, yes. So after being sort of in hiding for so long. Did, were you ever afraid after coming out of that hiding to, you know, show your, your Judaism? Like, were, were you ever afraid of you know, no. from that? No, no. I went to an American school, a school organized by Americans, um, offering the full curriculum of the um, department you know, there was like government departments, like uh, the Department of Energy and things like that, or the Department of uh, uh, Religion and Education, always together. But at the time of the war, the head of the Greek church was a statesman, a vision, visionary statesman. He said, But no religion shall, but no conversion shall be attempted as long as the Jews are under a death sentence. Now, in the constitution of Greece at the time, you could convert into um, the Greek religion, 
Greek Orthodox, Orthodox mm -hmm. but you couldn't convert away from it. Mm -hmm. So this was, he warned that if they are trying to save the Jews, which he had ordered that everybody wow. try, mm -hmm. and no conversion should be attempted as long as the Jews are under a death sentence. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I think this was unique in Europe. Mm -hmm. Now, there's another thing that was unique in Europe. Yes, I'll take your question. Okay. Okay. Has the Jewish community revived itself in Greece? Has it ever gone It's back? very bad now. There's very few uh, Jews left. There's a lot of intermarriage, and I haven't been there for 13 years, so I don't really know the latest. And the press about Greece and the poverty and everything is so dreadful. I, I, I just don't know. I don't know. I don't think things are not as good as. But um, the the per capita decimation of the Jews in Greece was second only to Poland. No, I I wasn't with my parents uh, most of the time for two years. I was hiding first in the home of the people that became fugitives for having hidden Jews, because they, they also took in my parents when they became homeless for another reason, uh, because they were extorted at gunpoint, and, uh, and it was, they could stay where they had been staying, in hiding. And they came to hide with my own rescuers. Um, so the... Um, problems because we had a civil war following liberation where uh, there was a, a very unfortunate incident where the government or the British or somebody, one of the liberator armies, shot at civilians in the, in the square because somehow they thought that this might be a communist thing. And uh, I can't begin to tell you how tragic that was for years. And then we had the colonels that took over, which was a dictatorship. And when we got rid of the colonels, there was amnesty, and people stopped saying, you fought in this part of the resistance rather than that part of the resistance. In other words, the non-communist or the communist it wasn't communist. People were patriots. In fact, I can tell you a story about the resistance. Didn't happen to me though, so I can't really uh, vouch for it. But I did research it and I interviewed people, and I was told this story. Horrible, because the the closer they came to losing the war, the more maniacal they became. In grabbing a hold of any resistance fighter, any Jew, any retarded person. I mean, they were crazy about who should be destroyed because God forbid we might have that contaminated blood or something. I don't know what the heck they wanted. The occupation, there was a lot of poverty and starvation. And uh, my father had connections uh, with the with mills, 
So he was able to purchase a flour, bring it to a pasta making factory, and have them make him uh, pasta so he can sell it wholesale and then make a living during the, uh, you know, the occupation uh, while we were in hiding. And that's where he met another man who was a baker. He had a, a neighborhood bakery and he was my so-called godfather, the person that took me in because my father said, I have a little girl and I'm afraid we get getting recognized and, and she might, we, if we get caught, she, she will not survive. And the man said, I will take her. I will take her and raise her with my own little girl. And the, his daughter was two or three years younger than I was. And, um, his, and I said to him, you couldn't make ends meet. You had, to, you had to have another job because the bakery was not enough. All the, the it was a bread shop, but the bread shop was with coupons and at a fixed price. It wasn't an enterprise. It was like, you know, selling at, at fixed Mm -hmm. you know, with a pittance of a, of a profit. That's why he was in the pasta factory. Well, that's where he met my father. And then he said, I will take her and I will pretend she's my baptismal daughter. The goddaughter in Greek is the baptismal daughter. Okay. Yes. Jewish yes. Oh, I have Greek. to tell you, there was, there is an island and I, it's all in my book. Uh, and it's due west from Athens, I mean way in the other sea okay. on, the, on the west side of Greece uh -huh. and toward Italy and instead of toward Turkey on the, on the east. Uh -huh. And the island is called Zakynthos. Sometimes foreign people call it Zanti because it's easier to pronounce. <laughs> Anyway, in Zakynthos, there were 275 Jews. I believe I have the number straight. And um, the mayor and the metropolitan bishop of the island were instrumental in sending them to the mountains to hide instructing the villagers in the mountain villages to take them and hide them and not for 40,000 inhabitants of Zakynthos never even accidentally disclosed the secret where the Jews were 275 Jews I don't know why there was no death or birth but 275, <laughs> you know, they survived exactly the same number as when they, they were in hiding. That's something. And, and that's nobody told, yes. That's in your book? Yes. My mother, because my father 
was recognized too many times and he stopped coming to see me. My mother was a little safer because in the summer they put a, a, a sheer uh, silk thing over their heads and wore glasses and uh, you know sunglasses and she was she dyed her hair from black to blonde and so she the, the, she changed her appearance a lot but my father was stuck with who he was <laughs> and so um, she she really um, was easier to conceal but anyway, I forget what I was answering. What thing you were most afraid of? Oh, I was afraid when they left the place of my hiding, or one of them at the time, because they never came together. Um, I never knew that they went around the corner if I would ever see them again. That was the that was the terrifying part, but again, I had the real talent for denying my own feelings, and so I just I just didn't think that way. I just willed myself not to, not to be scared. At one point, I was trying to I was in my second hiding place after the first people became fugitives for having taken in uh, Jews. Um, I, uh, I was hidden in a home of a widow, a young widow who was a businesswoman um, that sold uh, dairy products wholesale. And um, it, it was very, it, I don't know what I was trying to tell you. I'm sorry. I just mm -hmm. I lost my train of thought. With the fear of never not knowing. Yes. With, with oh yes. And there was no. there was a time that that um, my second rescuer accompanied us uh, to give my to walk my mother uh, very to another suburb, you know and. We were very close to where my parents and and I had and my brother had hidden, but that's not where I lived anymore. And I thought of my dad, and I, I was very upset because I could not conjure up his his face. Mm. I just I I had forgotten what he looked like, because you know this was like a two-year ordeal. People were very depressed at that time. So I was hiding. The businesswoman that took me in uh, couldn't like close her shop and come to the suburb where her home was. So she stayed with friends in nearby Athens because the curfew was there and she couldn't travel. You'd, after the curfew was begun, had begun. So um, I think that there were a lot of these things like I thought of my dad and I could not remember what he looked like. And the doll was given to me when my brother, uh, soon after, uh, had a birthday 
soon after my brother was born. And so my mother had made the booties and the little pretty dress. And um, I, uh, I thought of my dog. But of course, I couldn't have such an uh, attractive, visible uh, object with me. I didn't want yes. to attract attention. Right. There was a time that I, I went back to my parents because my own rescuers, the first ones, became fugitives for having hidden Jews. So I couldn't stay there. So I went to my mother and father, but they had told everybody in the neighborhood they were child. You know, so who, and I had a family resemblance, so who was I? So they made up a story that my mother had a sister who had cancer in the hospital, and, and, and uh, I was the little niece. That's why the family resemblance. Yeah, and, and that's why I would disappear as soon as they could find another family to sure, take me sure. in. So when that happened, did you have to like, did they have to teach you not to call them mother and father? Like, did you have to? No, they didn't have to teach me. I was a born actress. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> of course. We're just about at five o'clock. So is there oh. any bits of information or any final questions anybody wants to ask? One thing that I sure. think is really important with the theme of righteous Gentiles, can you tell us a little oh, bit yes. about what the Greek Orthodox Church did? The Greek Orthodox Church, as I said, was led by a visionary, uh, amazing uh, priest, really. And uh, they, are, they, they are really, the, the Greek Church is independent of anybody, like in uh, in Turkey or in wherever, you know, there are other Orthodox uh, Christians, but they they are not on top of the Greeks, you know, and and so yeah, that the they were amazing. And for example, there is a big city, a big city, I don't know, fourth or fifth biggest city in Greece. Uh, called Volos, and it's on the coast, not too far from Larissa, my hometown. Uh, the, there was a collaboration between the, um, the um, um, chief rabbi there and the metropolitan bishop, and they cooked up a scheme which saved 80 percent of the Jews of that city. And there were foreign people that were part of the Red Cross and they permitted the rations that were due for the Jews that fled to the mountains to follow them so that they would have subsistence wherever they went. So I mean, yeah. the, the, the church in general uh, and in particular places was amazing. And they were all honored, those people that I've written about as righteous among the nations. Birdcast is written and produced by me, John Fries, at Blue Mist Media. 
You can find all of our episodes online at www.bergcast.com. That's B-U-R-G-H, cast.com. We're also at Facebook at Birdcast, one word. Thanks for listening, and stay tuned for more stories from Pittsburgh and conversations with some of the region's most interesting people.